This is Garrison Harney with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. Jesus is Lord in public and in private. Every area of life must be subject to his lordship, and our use of technology is no exception. What captures our attention on the screen either glorifies or dishonors our Lord. That's why Accountable to You is committed to promoting biblical accountability in our families and churches. Their monitoring and reporting software makes transparency easy on all of your devices, so you can say with the psalmist, I will not set anything worthless before my eyes. Guard against temptation with Accountable to You and live for God's glory. Learn more and try it for free at accountabletoyou.com slash FLF. That's accountable, the number two, u.com slash FLF. Now let's get to the news. We start at the White House. The White House prohibiting official travel to fossil fuel conferences. This according to an internal memo. The White House is prohibiting senior administration officials from traveling for international energy engagements that promote carbon-intensive fuels, including oil, natural gas, and coal. This was according to Fox News Digital. The guidance, which originated from the White House National Security Council, NSC, was revealed in a Department of Energy memo issued internally to agency staff on September 15th and obtained by Fox News Digital. The memo was authored by Deputy Secretary of Energy David Turk, who outlined travel restrictions, and stated officials are required to obtain approval from the NSC before attending any global energy engagement. The memo said thusly, this guidance sets out a presupposition that agencies and departments will pursue international energy engagement that advances clean energy products, Turk wrote in the memo. It also outlines a process for seeking limited exceptions to pursue carbon-intensive engagements on a justified geostrategic imperative for energy for development energy access basis. The guidance rules out any U.S. government engagement related to unabated or partially abated coal generation, he continued. Carbon-intensive international energy engagements are those directly related and dedicated to the production, transportation, or consumption of carbon-intensive fuels that would lead to additional greenhouse gas emissions. According to the memo, carbon-intensive fossil fuels include coal, oil, and natural gas. In addition, the memo notes that the guidance became effective November of 2021 and applies to all international energy engagements. Turk issued a separate memo in early April of 22, which first outlined how the DOE would implement the NSC guidance and stated that energy engagements that promote carbon-intensive fuels may only be exempt if they advance national security or are essential to support energy access in vulnerable areas. Turk's September memo updated that guidance, stating that for all future engagements, departments and agencies are required to submit exemption justifications to the NSC and receive NSC concurrence before proceeding with a covered engagement. The DOE referred Fox News Digital to the NSC, which didn't respond to multiple requests for comment. Since taking office, President Biden has pursued an aggressive climate agenda, seeking to boost green energy technologies like solar and wind, while curbing domestic reliance on fossil fuels like those listed by the administration as carbon-intensive. Biden has issued federal goals to ensure 50% of U.S. car purchases are zero emissions by 2030, and that the power sector is carbon-free by 2035. However, vehicles with internal combustion engines, gasoline-powered, make up more than 99% of all U.S. cars in the U.S. and about 99% of new car sales. 
according to J.D. Power. And approximately 60% of electricity in the U.S. is generated from fossil fuels, mainly natural gas, while 17% is produced from wind or solar power. As part of his agenda, Biden and senior administration officials have traveled to global energy conferences to boost green energy development. And officials have largely been absent from global fossil fuel summits like the World Gas Conference, which former Energy Secretary Rick Perry attended during the Trump administration. The Biden administration also opted against inviting oil and gas industry representatives to the White House Methane Summit in July. And moving on, we go to New York. Judge orders New York to dole out nearly half a million dollars in legal fees to NRA after Supreme Court victory. A New York judge ordered the state to pay out nearly half a million dollars in legal fees to the National Rifle Association, or the NRA, after the gun rights group won a major case at Supreme Court. In a case decided last summer, the Supreme Court ruled that a New York public carry licensing law was unconstitutional and that the ability to carry a pistol in public was a constitutional right guaranteed by the Second Amendment. The NRA was a party in that case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And last week, a New York judge ordered the state to pay $447,000 in legal fees. The NRA regards the $447,000 award in the NYSRPA v. Bruin case, there's a mouthful, as a pivotal victory, a symbol that justice is definitely on our side. That was Michael Jean, NRA's director of the Office of Litigation Counsel, told that to Fox News Digital. This triumph in Bruin has fortified the Second Amendment in an unprecedented manner, and we continue our unrelenting fight to uphold our rights and challenge those who endeavor to infringe upon them, he added. Gene noted, however, that the payout only scratches the surface and covers merely a third of the group's legal expenses. Gene thanked the generosity of devoted NRA members that helped to cover the brunt of legal fees for the case, noting that New York refuses to fully compensate. Before the high court weighed in, the standard for carrying a weapon required an applicant to show proper cause for seeking a license and allowed New York officials to exercise discretion in determining whether a person had shown good enough reason for needing to carry a firearm stating that one wish to protect themselves or their property was not enough. In this case, petitioners and respondents agree that ordinary law-abiding citizens have a similar right to carry handguns publicly for their self-defense. We, too, agree and now hold consistent with Heller and McDonald that the Second and Fourth Amendments protect an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. That was Justice Clarence Thomas, who wrote the court's opinion referencing two previous gun cases. Because the state of New York issues public carry licenses only when an applicant demonstrates a special need for self-defense, we conclude that the state's licensing regime violates the Constitution. Thomas noted that the state's statute does not define what proper cause means and that courts had ruled that the standard was met by people who showed a special need for self-protection. Following the court's decision, New York legislators immediately passed the Concealed Carry Improvement Act, which prohibits carrying a gun in sensitive areas such as stadiums, houses of worship, museums, parks, and other public places, imposes revised record-keeping and new safety requirements on retailers, and mandates background checks on all ammunition purchases. Gun retailers immediately appealed to the Supreme Court in January to stop that law from going into effect while the litigation proceeds, but the high court rejected their bid. Quote, we are currently challenging the ability of the state of New York to target dealers in firearms and the lawful stream of commerce to put them out of business, which is what the new laws will do. That was Paloma Capanna, the lead attorney for the New York gun retailers. So it was really unfortunate to see that we couldn't get any emergency temporary injunction against those laws. 
Elsewhere, former Kamala Harris advisor who doesn't appear to live in California picked to fill late Dianne Feinstein's seat. So eager were Democrats to find a replacement for the late Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat that they apparently didn't even bother to pick someone living in California. According to the Washington Examiner, the appointment of LaPonza Butler to become California's newest senator is already raising some eyebrows as she appears to be registered to vote in Maryland with an address in that state. Registration records indicate that Butler lives in Silver Spring, Maryland, with her mailing address the same as her residential. She registered as a Democrat as of September 12, 2022. Butler is the president of Emily's List, the self-described nation's largest resource dedicated to electing Democratic pro-choice women to office and a longtime leader in California before her move to Maryland. On Sunday night, the newest California senator's biography on the Emily's List website listed that LaPonza grew up in Magnolia, Mississippi and attended one of the country's premier HBCUs, Jackson State University. She lives in Maryland with her partner Neneke Lee and their daughter Nyla. As of 7 a.m. Monday, the organization has removed the line that that she lives in Maryland. Butler was formerly Kamala Harris's 2020 campaign advisor. As radio host Dan O'Connell noticed in real time, Butler removed part of her biography on her Twitter account that listed Maryland as her location. Similarly, the spectators Matt Foldy found that Butler's LinkedIn page had also listed her location as Maryland. Yet, merely hours after Foldy's post, Butler's location, according to LinkedIn, changed to the Los Angeles metropolitan area. And before we wrap up today... How about a little on this day in history? It's been a while. On this day in history, October 3rd, go all the way back to 42 BC, the first battle of Philippi as the triumvirs Mark Antony and Octavian fight an indecisive battle with Caesar's assassins Brutus and Cassius at two Brute. 1735, France and the Holy Roman Emperor Charles VI sign a peace accord. 1778, explorer and captain James Cook anchors at alaska in 1849 october 3rd american author edgar Allan poe is found delirious in a gutter in baltimore maryland under mysterious circumstances it is the last time he was seen in public before his death october 3rd 1863 the u.s president abraham lincoln designates last thursday in november as thanksgiving day and that's coming up folks 1913, the U.S. federal income tax signed into law at 1% by President Woodrow Wilson. Thanks a lot, Wilson. How about 1941? Adolf Hitler says Russia is already broken and will never rise again in a broadcast to the German people. October 3rd, 1945, Elvis Presley's first public performance at the age of 10 singing Old Shep in Youth Talent Contest at the Mississippi-Alabama Fair and Dairy Show in Tolipo, Mississippi, Contest is broadcasted over WELO radio, and he only won fifth prize, $5 in fair ride tickets. Come on. 1951, CBS TV airs the first coast-to-coast telecast of a prize fight. Australian light heavyweight Dave Sands outpoints American Carl Bobo Olsen in 10 rounds. That was at Chicago Stadium. In 1976, future baseball Hall of Fame right fielder Hank Aaron singles in his last MLB at-bat and drives in his 2297th run as a Milwaukee Brewer. They lose 5-2 versus the Detroit 
Tigers. And that is your news for today. This has been your Cross Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, go ahead and hit that share button for me down below. If you want to sign up for a pub membership, a magazine subscription, or tickets to the Ark Encounter, head on over to FightLaughFeast.com. And as always, if you want to send me a news story, if you want to ask about the Ark Encounter coming up here like next week, or if you want to become a corporate partner of Cross Politic, email me at Garrison at FightLaughFeast.com. For Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great rest of your day, and Lord bless.